you're listening to Voices of Value, a selection of valuable insights designed to help you get more out of your professional and personal life through simple and easy-to-adopt life lessons. If you're keen to enjoy a better quality of life at work and at home, sit back and join the conversation with your hosts, Peter Kakos and Rick Rushton. So, Peter, our next guest on Voices of Value is someone who I think is going to really put a finer point on what's been a hot topic for us most of this year, hasn't it, in terms of depression, mental health, as it's called in the uh, the wider media, but we've got a different belief about that. Yeah, it's not really a path that we've, um, we set out to go down, no. but um, the fact we're going down it, and, and importantly, what we're finding out on this path has been incredible. It's been an awakening, I think, for us, and I know hearing back from some of the listeners as well. Yeah. So we thought we'd uh, well and truly continue on this path and uh, and speak to someone who um, knows it, uh, has lived it, and is now sharing a, a pretty important message, Rick. Absolutely. So Nick Brax, for those interstate uh, sort of subscribers, is the son of a former Victorian Premier uh, in Steve Brax, who was Premier of our great state from 99 through to 2007. Um, famously left public life just to dedicate a bit more time back into his family at a time when Nick probably needed a dad more than a Premier. And Nick was going through his sort of challenge. And we're really thrilled to say he's on the other side of that. What he's learnt going through that, Pete, is what I think he can share with our listeners today mm. so Nick Brax is for the many of you I'm sure who've been watching Dancing with the Stars over the journey was a contestant on that he's been certainly renowned as a male model uh, good looking bloke that's fair to say uh, he would have got a few tips he would have got a few tips from me definitely not uh, he's certainly been uh, somebody who's had a, a pretty high caliber athletic life growing up uh, an entrepreneur founded a company called Under Brax uh, but really spends a lot of his time Pete which I think is fundamentally important traveling the world not just Australia New Zealand, Asia, right across the globe, sharing what he's learnt about coming through the other side of this mental health issue that we've been talking about throughout most of 2019. So without further ado, it's a great welcome to Voices of Value to Nick Brax. Nick, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me on and for my um, that nice introduction. I think you made me sound better than what I am, but oh, I'll take it. Not true, mate. Not true at all. Nick, uh, <laughs> just uh, for, for many of us, we've we, we, we've been astounded, Pete and I, the amount of high-caliber people we've interviewed this year who have just miraculously thrown into the conversation, oh, by the way, I've had a few challenges with mental health, and we go, from the outside looking in, you look like you've got it sorted. You know, you're a superstar. You're great at what you do. And it could be easy to be said that that could be the opinion of anyone who knew you back in your late yep. teens, early 20s. 20s, you were seemingly making it all happen in all areas, both on field and, you know, son of a premier. It looked like you had it all to do, but, uh, you know, there was obviously some challenges you were going through at the time. Yeah, no, plenty. Um, and I think that's great that you're saying, you know, you've had high caliber people on there that look like they're, you know, should have everything in order and they're actually talking about it, which shows that, uh, you know, people are becoming more okay with talking openly about, you know, issues as they come up, which is a really positive thing but for me um you know i've always had as far back as i can remember a very very active mind and um probably having a lack of self-awareness and having a very unique uh situation that i grew up in all contributed to me you know really struggling for a long time until i was able to learn about myself sort through things learn how my mind works be able you know as a male learn it's okay to talk about these kind of things and you know it ultimately led to the work i do now where i spend 80% of my time um, running my own mental health organization and um, speaking at, at schools and organizations around the world and, you know, continue doing it just because I know from my own experience and um, through the conversations that I have on a now a daily basis how big of an issue this is. 
And mate, going back to the early days, how did it manifest for you? Because you were somebody who seemingly, as I say, like all of the people we've interviewed from the outside looking in, looked like you had it all sorted. How did it manifest in your mind? I know, I know sort of part of the story because you've you know, shared it with me and uh, with the world really in a, in a few TED Talks. But how did it manifest for you for the our listeners that are uh, unaware of your background? Um, well, originally uh, I wanted to be a professional athlete. Uh, first of all, I was playing football, AFL, and uh, I, I think I it's literally as far back as I can remember as a kid, I was quite obsessive. Um, I would fixate on things. Uh, it actually helped me get results in sport, but I was training at the at crazy levels, and that became you know basically an addiction where I then was you know became really fit, was winning middle distance running races, wanted to be a middle distance runner started training, you know, at just obscene levels as a young kid. And that probably kicked it off, kicked off, you know, me, um, or maybe not kicked it off. It was really probably my mind, uh, being restless and not having a proper vehicle to be able to, um, you know, control this, this crazy thinking. Um, and that led to a whole range of problems with, you know, from social issues to identity issues, uh, growing up with a well-known father, um, you know, as many of the benefits that come from that, uh, it, it also came with, well, all I had really known as, you know, from the age of 12 onwards was being the son of this person, which, uh, you know, as a, as a kid, when you're trying to find who you are and what you want to do, you, and you're living in the shadow of, you know, this person, um, you know, doesn't affect everyone, but definitely someone with a personality like mine, where you, you know, very ambitious and want to create your own path that, um, caused a lot of confusion and conflict. And it was really just, you know, a combination of all of these things that um, that, that really started these uh, mental health issues. It's quite an interesting, must be an interesting phenomenon having so much spotlight on you as, because uh, you, you were 12, yeah, when Steve, your father got in as Premier, was that? Yeah. Was 12, yeah. 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 And then all yeah. the way through, so literally all the way through your teens, um, there would be very few days where you wouldn't pick up the paper and and see a family member, and in this case, your father um, in the paper, and the child, yes, inadvertently, um, as a kid growing up, would have um, would have put a fair bit of spotlight on yourself. Yeah, massively. It's a it, it is a weird thing. It becomes sort of, I guess, um, I didn't know any differently. Um, it probably started affecting me more as I got a bit older. I was, you know, quite at the end of my uh, schooling years. I was quite lost and went off the rails. And uh, I guess by virtue of uh, being the eldest uh in the eldest kid in the family and um the incidents i was getting in uh winding up in the news because i was in a high profile family um that was that really created you know part of my problem and um was adding fuel to the fire and uh you know the experiences of being on uh subsequently after that in the modeling world and reality shows and things like that was you know positive and negative because that probably happened at a well did happen at a time when i uh, was lacking in self-awareness, didn't know who I was or what I wanted and uh, was really, uh, you know, um, enjoying the instant uh, gratification that came from it. But that, you know, as we all know, creates a, um, a bigger long-term problem if you if that's all you're living for. Yeah, well, this mental health and anxiety, I mean, it's not, it doesn't just pick out those that are in the spotlight, those are in the, the public eye and so forth. It, um, it's also those that that you wouldn't know about those that are, are, are sort of hidden those are the ones that you know really deal with it behind closed door who are who are not public figures or anything like that so what we're seeing is it's um it's just really prevalent through through our lives mm. no matter what 
walk of life you're in. Um, is that what you're seeing from um, from what you do? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, the, whenever I'm running a session or talking at a company or anywhere, really the the first thing I'm opening up telling people is, you know, mental health does not discriminate. I think there's a power in having people that um, have had some form of success or have some form of status in different industries because that can help dispel, um, you know, these myths that it only affects um, certain people. This this can affect anyone. Um, and so it can affect someone who is high profile, but it affects the everyday person. It's just, it doesn't discriminate. And that's because it's not so much about what's happening externally. It's about what goes on in your head. It's about thinking habits that you've created. It's about, um, you know, how well you look after yourself. A lot of people call it your mental hygiene. You know, it's like we make a big effort a lot of the time, you know, to, um, to exercise, to eat well, to do things where we can see tangible results and that are more um, talked about. But with our mental health, it can it's intangible things. You know, am I sleeping enough? Am I um, taking time to just let my mind be still? Do I meditate? Do I if exercise is huge for your mental health? I advocate, you know, that. And this does affect, you know, so many people. The stigma is still out there, especially for men. Uh, we're taught that we, you know, men it's uh, a weakness to show emotion um you know there's a whole range of, of issues out there and it's becoming worse with social media mass media consumption and all of that and i see that in schools all the time so it's it, it's a um complicated issue mm-hmm. and mate just so you know we the people we have spoken to that we've been you know uh, getting this sort of feedback that they were going through this journey this mental health journey if you want to call it that uh, the minute they understood it to a degree their first solution to the challenge was just to train harder and get more physical and maybe mask it in you know things like alcohol and maybe drugs yeah, and things yeah. of that nature is that sort of something that um, was consistent with your sort of early sort of understanding of it Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, if I look back over the years in um, in my sort of cycles, it was everything was taken to the extreme. And if you look at, you know, if you break down why was I doing that, it's a coping mechanism. And, um, you know, I think even educating each other, educating society on, on things like addiction, you know, I think we have stigmas around that. Oh, addiction means um, alcohol, drugs, gambling. Um, if someone's addicted to that area, they're, you know, they can be looked down upon, whereas if you saw someone who's, you know, working 80 hours a week, we applaud them. But, you know, if you break it down, a lot of these people working 80 hours a week are doing it because they're trying to block out some other pain. And there's literally no difference. You know, it's just, it's purely a vehicle. And we're in some way or another attached to whatever vehicle was accessible to us to help us cope. Um, and I don't think we understand that in enough, enough depth in society. I don't think it's talked about and um it's you know it's another sort of layer to it but it's you know like you're saying as well you can also go the other way where it's like okay i want to um you know i found this is going to improve my mental health maybe exercising and become obsessive about that and create another problem in itself so um it's all about balance and and checking in with yourself yeah that's 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 really interesting to listen to nick what do you think is is fueling in a big way, these conditions, this 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 condition in society right now. What what are the biggies that you're seeing and finding, and uh, in terms of what's fueling it? What why what are people doing wrong? You, you were talking about you know potential you know um, yeah, the working yeah. hours and so forth. But what what do you think? What's the biggest? What are the biggies? Um, I think it's sort of a couple of things. I think you know number one, I think this 
these issues have always existed. They're more talked about now, so naturally it seems, you know, like a like a bigger thing. Yeah, but um, I think it is a bigger issue than it used to be as well because um, we live in, you know, a very complicated world now and um, it used to – we didn't used to have things like social media. Um, we didn't used to have as many of these perceived options that are out there. So now it's quite complicated. It's, you know, we can be doing – doing a job uh, but sort of looking at okay but what's next or you know how long do I want to do this what else do I want to do um, our minds are jumping uh, where it, I think psychologically it's actually being shown now that um, our our actual attention span has decreased from what it used to be in you know 20 30 years ago before we had so much information um, and it makes sense you know we're glued to our phones I, I don't know what the average amount of time people look at them but it is creating very short attention spans. I notice it now daily in, you know, conversations I'm having with people that you, you'll see their eyes darting, they're checking their phone, they can't focus. It's something that I'm still working on to become better at myself. You know, it's hard. Um, but I think all of these, you know, conditional things um, are contributing to it. So it's, it's again, uh, you know, n- not a simple thing, but I think it's about educating ourselves and others about, yeah, we can't change how society is. And it actually brings a lot of really positive things. So it can be used for, you know, the greater good and to, you know, business-wise or whatever industry we're in it, it you know, I, I'm the other thing I do is um, pursue acting and it's made that whole world a lot smaller. You can see I could be lying on a beach somewhere and send a self-tape to LA for a job. So it's great in those ways, but I think we have to really learn how to create our own habits, um, our own healthy habits to deal with uh, sort of offsetting some of the negative sides. And so, Braxy, it's very obvious if you come into a, a room and someone you care about, someone you know, someone you're working with daily has got a plaster cast, then you know very, very quickly that uh, they're obviously got a, um, you know, a, an injury. But no one comes into a room with a cast around their brain, so you don't know that they're going through this to a degree. What are some of the, <laughs> for our listeners, what are some of the telltale signs we sh- could and should look for to ensure that we can actually ask that person, you know, are you okay? Can we help? Is everything all right? Because they, they might not be like you initially. You didn't really want to share with the world what your challenges were. You just went deeper yeah. into to training. What are some of the telltale signs, as you understand them to be, that our listeners could be looking for if we think something's not quite right with somebody? It's not, are they having a bad day? They could be having a bad moment. They could be having a bad part of their life. We just don't know. Absolutely. And, I mean, there's many, many signs. You know, some of them uh, could be someone withdrawing, um, angry sort of outbursts, um, uh, regularly getting sick is really common, uh, just, you know, not, I guess, shutting off from people, uh, basically any behavior that's, um, any unusual behavior that becomes quite prolonged, that's not in, in line with how they would normally behave. Um, but like you're saying, you know, we can't, sometimes we actually can't, don't notice it because people are really good at hiding things. So mm. a lot of the, the and that's what I've found mm. with, yeah, I'm asking it and I've seen it time and time again in the companies I'm, I'm working in the majority of the people that actually end up speaking up after we do these sessions and getting help of the people that, um, you know, the other, their colleagues thought not in a million years would they have an issue. It's a lot of the charismatic, outgoing, um, confident people that are putting on this persona and probably become good at, at um, you know, just performing and, and masking it over many years. Yeah. Uh, so they're like, they're, they're so functioning, they're functioning addicts, aren't they? Really? They're, they're just unbelievably to good. To a degree, at, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. They um unbelievably good at putting on that, you know, that uh that that persona. Um 
So it really comes down again to how critical it is. And it's really, it sounds simple, I guess. And it's why I've kept doing the work I do because it's not rocket science what I'm doing. I'm just sparking a conversation. But I think the more each individual can really understand that, you know, for my own well-being, but for the well-being of every everyone out there, if we can all just take the lead ourselves in talking about this stuff, leading by example and showing other people that, you know what, it's okay to, to be open if you're having a problem. It's okay to go and talk to someone you trust at work, your friend, family member, whoever it is. The more we can start really, you know, changing that person by person, that's how a bigger sort of um, change can happen longer term where people are more comfortable to, you know, take, like you said before, take that mask off and, and uh, actually talk about the issue. You can't get help if you don't talk about it. Mm. Nick, I'd love to delve into the work you're doing now and to talk about and, and maybe if we can lead into some some little life hacks and what's worked for you and what your findings work for others. But but let's start with, you know, what, talk talk to us about the work you're doing now. Yep, so I'm, I'm running um, a lot of mental health awareness and uh, educational sessions uh, in schools and companies. So it's really going in there and the, predominantly raising awareness about it, destigmatizing it, using storytelling to uh to you know really cut through and show uh how how this is relevant and then going into different psychological models and then giving yeah like you're saying uh some practical uh information uh about what they can actually do you know things like habit formation i think it's so critical that we understand if we want to make a behavior change uh you know that's not even half of the battle it's great to be aware of it and that's you know the first step but you know if i wanted to go and lose 10 kilograms um, and I'm aware of it I actually have my you know training schedule mapped out I might even go once or twice a week that's not enough we've got to if we really want to get results we need to learn how to make um, things that are important to us into a daily habit because if we don't get it that ingrained it's not sustainable you won't stick to it and I you know I, I really advocate that because I learned that myself but out of all the things that have been important to me the um, the critical ones I I sort of did I had to really just be so disciplined about it until it became a habit to the point where you actually feel more anxious if you don't do it. Um, and I think that's probably one of the main, you know, really important things I, I try to get across. And so thinking back to the time when you were aware of it, that you had it personally yourself, Nick, and, you know, how did it sort of manifest for you initially? Was it sort of a thinking that you had that then triggered into a bit of a, a belief system for you or what, what was the main triggers for you? Um, that led me down that spiral or yeah, that, that, when that it was happening? Led, led down the spiral. That just, yeah, started off on that sort of challenge for you. Um, the main triggers were I had identified, I guess, my whole identity was built around being a professional athlete. Um, and, you know, at, at the sort of I, – I really didn't develop socially because I had a whole lot of issues with – I was very shy and um, – didn't had unaddressed issues so the I guess the competing in sport was masking all of these things I didn't address was masking my inability to actually connect with people to talk to other people um it was there and and masking you know these underlying uh mental health problems that I that I had from you know from all of these traumatic things that had happened um so once that was removed that was what started the spiral and and I was in so much pain and so lost and struggling so much that I started using alcohol to cope and to try and numb it that created another problem in itself. And, you know, it was a constant cycle in, in, until I really got to the point where 
I um, was thrown in the deep end. It was actually through being on this very, um, you know, negative path for a long time and being completely lost and out of control that when I was finally at a new university course, I had to go and speak in public at these in, in the in the um, first semester of this course. And that just forced me to have to confront a lot of things because it was the, the scariest thing in the world for me at the time. Yeah, and so so a lot of it was built on your own resilience to come back from you know, the, the tough challenges, tough times. How much help did you get from external, from your family, from those? Was it sort of you being proactive to them or were they sort of uh, you know, trying to sort of assist you as best you possibly could, a combination of the two? What was it? Um, yeah, it was a combination of the two. You know, they were incredibly supportive. I mean, you can't really help someone if they're not, you know, asking for help or not wanting help and that – so until it got to the point where I, you know, actually was openly wanting help, they were there and, you know, like any good family doing anything they could for me. Um, so that was definitely a, a big part of it. Mm, fantastic. And, mate, to just um, put a fine upon it, the story that you share that really made me absolutely understand this challenge for what it really is, is your Golden Gate Bridge story. Are you happy to share that with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, when I did, you know, when I met Rick recently, when I met you, um, it was through, um, we both did a TEDx talk um, a few months ago and I tailored mine around suicide. And one of the stats I found through uh, through the research and through talking, I'm friends with um, a quite a big mental health advocate in America and he actually jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge when he was, I think, 18, tried to commit suicide, um, and he survived. And uh, one of the key things he talks about, which really, you know, for, was really hit home for me, um, out of these, there's about 35 survivors out of thousands of people that have jumped off the bridge, and all of them have said the exact same thing when they were interviewed. Um, so they all said that, the split second they had pushed themselves off that bridge, they instantly regretted it. Mm. Uh, and that was pretty eye-opening because, you know, you can sort of draw from that that a lot of other people have it's felt incredible. the same way, which is pretty scary. And, mm. and, you know, it does bring – and it's the same thing that, you know, we um, everyone who's had that experience or trying to advocate for it tries to hammer in that, um, you know, things will get better, things can get better. There is absolutely always an option. There Any single option other than doing that, is a better option mm. and you know when and i talk about this in you know the awareness work i do it's i know from my own personal experience as well when you are in such when you've been in such a prolonged um you know chaotic emotional state you no amount of logic and even when you're you're logically understanding and you're like yeah i know what you're saying is what i should be doing um it doesn't it, it doesn't always help because you're just so overwhelmed and you this emotion is just, it won't go away. And I guess they, it, people can get to that point where they feel like, fuck, I, I just don't know if I can, how am I going to be able to keep going? And it's really being able to remind yourself that you always can and having, you know, educating other people that, you know, if we know someone going through that, we've got to be there and, you know, really support them through that because, um, you know, sometimes they do need it. And be there with the right intent, i.e. not there to sort of pass judgment, but be there to support and then hopefully put them in touch with the right people who are going to give them the best help through this, which is obviously people with a bit of a clinical background. Absolutely, you know, and there's helplines out there going, putting them, you know, in touch with uh, professionals. Also in how we approach people, you know, you don't want to be, I think if you're 
Um, and sometimes out of care, you know, we can be frustrated and you can be almost forcing an opinion down someone's throat. And uh, the majority of the time that will actually have an adverse reaction. So it's really being able to be open and show them you're there for them. Um, you can't force anyone to do anything, but really guiding them. And like you said, leading them to professionals and, and just being patient and understanding that, um, you know, they're going through this very, uh, you know, a logical sort of thing. Mm. Nick, you've been doing a tremendous amount of work with some of the schools and uh, getting some incredible feedback. And I just think it's just so, so important what you're doing. It's, um, you know, you're a real blessing to um, to those rooms that you grace. And it's, uh, you know, some of the, the things I've read about you and, and, and what you've been able to create and the impact that you've had has been, yeah, it's a real credit to you, mate. What 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 are some of the key messages that you are taking into those rooms, particularly for um, for school age kids? Because it's pretty it's pretty frightening now. What's going on, isn't it? Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. For schools, um, I'm going in there, and a lot of the key messaging is letting them know that. Well, number one, trying to just talk a bit about self awareness, about how it's okay to express yourself. You know, we're not. It's being talked about more, but we're not really traditionally taught about anything to do with emotions about how to understand you know healthy relationships how to how to think more for ourselves how to make decisions for ourselves we're not taught a lot about um you know resilience these different things um and then i'm talking to them about the fact that it's actually okay or more than okay it's very normal to not have all of the answers especially when you get to you know year 11 and 12 and there's all of these pressures that that come into you know thinking i need to know what i'm going to do and what scores i'm going to get and it's okay you know you don't really i think life is a continual learning process and um, a lot of pressure can be put on and um and then obviously you know talking about social media this is one of the the biggest issues that um society is facing that schools especially and you know cyberbullying um comparing yourself to other people to these fake personas um mm. you know there's just issue after issue after issue that comes with um you know these these different um social media platforms so talking about that as well and that's the problem isn't it nick that in this day and age that the feedback with someone's opinion of you is at the speed of click and so you know if you're not on a solid ground if you don't have strong self-esteem someone's opinion on Facebook or a certain amount of likes on Instagram could actually dictate how I feel about myself going forward, which is sort of the real message that we like to share with the young folk in our, our life and, and the people we get to influence. We can't let someone's highly edited life affect your unedited life and, and realistically, you know, is that going to matter five years from now? It's pretty hard for a teenager to think that because they're thinking this is going to affect me for the next five minutes, which is it's about as far down the track as they look. <laughs> you know, it's like... Um that saying comparison is the thief of joy and it's pretty true. You know, we, um, and, and it's creating this thing and it's not, you know, it's just so unhealthy. And to your point, you know, people are needing that it's training all of the, it's literally teaching the complete, uh, opposite values that we should be learning, you know, instant gratification. I need someone to validate this photo. I need to feel good right now. I need that hit. Um, it's and actually really, uh, that's it, mm. that instant, instant reward, isn't it? Mm. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. You know, a lot of people are talking about saying, um, this is insane. You know, kids aren't allowed alcohol, drugs, these things that are highly addictive that create that relationship where you're relying on that serotonin hit. Well, how come they're allowed, um, social media platforms where they go on Instagram and become highly addicted and create that exact same behavior pattern? What's going to happen to them? You know, in 10, 20 years time, we don't know yet because this is all a new thing. I, I'm 32 years old now and I'm 
so thankful that I just missed growing up with this stuff. I was still going and, you know, kicking a football in the park and doing stuff like that after school. And, um, you know, didn't have any technology in my life, which I've just, you know, I couldn't be happier that I missed out on, but I just, mm. it's scary what's going to happen here. And, you know, I was, I was actually talking to someone today um, and he was saying some people that with people he employs, he's like, this is, it's insane. He's like these, they need, if I don't validate them and tell them that they're doing a good job and give them feedback and make them feel good every five minutes, they break down and they can't get through and they can't cope. And this is all another byproduct of um, a lot of these incredibly unhealthy values society is um, feeling. Mm, everyone's a winner. Everyone gets a ribbon. Everyone's special. Little Johnny is going to be <laughs> exactly, the next yeah. everything, and <laughs> life doesn't work that way. I often talk about the fact that yep. you know life's a ladder, and it's asking you to take incremental steps up the ladder each time. A lot of people see it as a bed, you know, lie down, and sort of <laughs> have it all home delivered <laughs> to me at the speed of Uber Eats. But um, you know, I think if I could, in a way of sort of bringing this to a head, Nick, if you could look forward a decade or two from now, what's your hope? What's your what's your absolute hope for where you see this going as a core? It's now very public, and, and it wasn't that long ago that it was almost weak to come out and say and put my hand up and say I'm struggling. Where now it's kind of actually one of the strongest things someone can do is put their hand up and say I'm not doing quite well, and so we applaud that now. So we've got a, a level of understanding. Clearly, nowhere near as good as we need it to be, but certainly it's a start. Where do you see it a decade or two from now, and your hope as to where you see this whole issue being? Yeah, no, like you said, I think. Um it, it's also good to have a bit of perspective and remember that, you know, it has, the awareness has dramatically, you know, increased. It's become, um, you know, it's, it's great where it's gone, but I would like to see it becoming, you know, more of a ingrained part of society. I think one of the critical things is I think this stuff should be just absolutely embedded in schooling and, you know, core subjects should, should feature teaching kids how they can from a very young age have more emotional resilience, understand their emotions. You know, this stuff should be taught to us from an early age. Um, I hope that, you know, just in general, I, I mean, just everything that we're seeing now with, um, I guess, all of these instant gratification things that, you know, capitalism and society brings, I hope that some of that can change. I don't know if it will, but I think, you know, that does create a lot of chaos. And it's one thing to say that, yeah, I get it and I want to change, but when you're living in it every day, it, it's hard. Mm. Um, so, yeah, just in general, hopefully it, it, it does keep improving. There's, you know, more um, government support for really making proper programs, proper, you know, putting good information out there um, and just seeing results like suicide, you know, going down because it's pretty horrible. Another stat that I um, brought up in my TED Talk was that one person around the world um, commit suicide every 40 seconds, which when you think about it, it's, it's pretty pretty alarming. It's pretty scary. So hopefully things like that can dramatically go down. Because mm, what we know is for the length of this interview thus far, 50 people are no longer with us on planet Earth, which is pretty much what you're talking about, Nick, which I think is yeah, you know, yeah. pretty scary. My hope is, is that uh, anyone listening to this is going to pause long enough to want to share this with people that are important to them in their lives because just because they don't think there's someone in their sphere that's you know struggling, the numbers tell us, by, there's a very strong chance that someone is doing it tough that they, they don't even know about. So by getting this message out, by hearing your story, 
story saying that you know you you've got through the other side now we're educating people about it it hasn't hurt your life too much i mean you know you travel you do travel the world you've got a from the outside looking in an amazing life and um you know living in a city melbourne and you know getting to you know live a, a you know a, i guess a first class lifestyle in many respects so just to say you've been challenged with it doesn't mean it's going to have to be you know a future challenge it's something that you've obviously got through the other side of and and now sort of benefiting from it and giving back from what you've learnt going through it absolutely and yeah you know just wanting to you know trying to remind myself to be grateful of you know things that i have in my life and using you know never forgetting about how i think you know and and another point is really if we do it's creating these habits where you are doing things to look after yourself and even when you are feeling good remembering that well, if I drop off and don't do, you know, these things that are healthy for me regularly, you know, anyone can fall back into, you know, negative spirals. So it's a constant, it's creating, you know, lifelong sustainable habits. But, Mate, it's, you know, that, feel, that is so yeah. true. And that yeah. is true. And do you feel yeah. like, and just in my, my last one before Pete sort of uh, brings it on home, Nick, do you feel like it's, uh, you know, when I've talked to people who are uh, recovering alcoholics, if that's the right terminology to use, they say you're never really cured, yeah. you're just always aware of it. Is it the same with mental health, do you think? Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, it's, um, it is a very, I think like, yeah, an alcoholic would, a lot of them will, a recovered, a recovering or recovered alcoholic would always refer to themselves as I'm a recovering alcoholic or I'm an alcoholic because it's really reminding themselves that I've got to do the work. I've got to work at this daily. I've got that persona, you know, um, or you hear Russell Brand, he'll talk about, you know, how he was an addict and, you know, he, he would, he's reminding himself regularly that, well, I've got to, you know, I've been off this stuff for 15 years, but I've got the personality and all of the traits where if I took one step off the, you know, and, and fell back into it, it, it could spiral very quickly. So I think it's reminding yourself that and, and really, you know, just creating again these daily habits. For me, the number one thing for me is, that helps me is exercise. And it's insane actually how much it helps. And People ask me a lot of the time, how do you train every day and how do you keep fit while you're doing all this other stuff? And I say to them, it's actually the easiest thing in my life. It's an enjoyable thing. And and for me, it's the same as eating or sleeping. To function well and get through a day, I exercise. And then all of the other byproducts come of health and you know staying fit or losing weight or whatever. But my core reason is I'm doing it for my mental health. Mm, that's brilliant nick thanks for sharing it's um i think it's important that that we all check in with those people in our lounge rooms or our classrooms or our boardrooms and just to make sure that that everyone is okay what you've been able to share with us today is just incredible invaluable and your passion and dedication to make a difference with mental health particularly you know depression anxiety and all those things really needs to be applauded um, go to nickbracks.com, N-I-C-K-B-R-A-C-K-S.com. You've got some great stuff on there, and I've got to say, um, you should be speaking at every single school throughout Australia. And, and, <laughs> How's and the calendar looking for that, mate? So, yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, if you, might be hard. I, I, no doubt, if you um, if if you want to, you know, Nick would love to, you know, hear from you if um, you know, offer any advice or speak at the next event or. You know, just um, someone to sort of bounce off. Nick, you've been incredibly generous uh, with your time and um, and your knowledge. As I said, your, your passion around this. Um, we're all still learning and, and we all need to, 
you know, put our hand up and, 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 and throw our hat in the rings to actually make a difference, to find out more about it. I think we, it's onus on ourselves, isn't it, Rick? It is. To find yeah. out more about it yeah. so we can help those around us and help ourselves as well yeah. um, to, to make that difference because it is, it is far, far too prevalent in society and, um, and we all, um, I think, owe it to, um, to one another to help each other and guide each other um, to make that difference. And as you said right off the top, Pete, we didn't start this podcast with the expectation that we were going to go down this road, but it was amazing how quickly we had to go down this road because it was a, a constant theme. And so, Nick, for you to share your expertise on it, your personal story with it, with so much uh, courageousness, what one might say, but for you it's just normal humility for you sharing that. We are really appreciative. There is a great TEDx talk that Nick's, Nick's done too, actually, but the one that he referenced uh, earlier in the interview, if you just go onto the TED platform pop in Nick Brax you'll find his talk it is very very compelling and again Nick when I heard that Golden Gate Bridge story it made it really that was the one that really rammed home to me that 100% of the feedback from those that have survived was the nanosecond they felt themselves leaving the bridge they regretted it so that tells me that everybody who's in that position is just a conversation away from changing their perspective about what life's all about and if we can help someone from making that ultimate fall i think that's uh, that's the greatest thing we can do in 2019 and beyond so again from all of us here at voices of value mate thank you for so giving so sharing the message you're doing and most importantly mate who you are i'm sure that mum and dad are incredibly proud as they rightly should be as is everybody who knows you and on behalf of everybody here mate we say thank you for the gift of your time today Absolutely. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate and love the work that, that you guys are doing and really appreciate coming on your show. So thanks for having me on here. Nick Brax, everybody. Make Thank sure you, you do what Pete said. Get straight onto his website. Get out in touch with him. And yeah, for anyone who's listening is looking for a, a keynote speaker at uh, one of your conferences coming up, you could do <laughs> a lot worse than A, have this as a topic and B, use someone like Nick as the great voice of it. Nick Brax, everybody. Thanks, Nick. Thank you, mate. Thank you. We trust you enjoyed listening to Voices of Value, a shared conversation between Rick Rushton and Peter Kakos. Their views are not necessarily those of the wider world, but they should be. If you're keen to enhance the quality of your life even further in the future, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or your preferred podcast source. Our website is voicesofvaluepodcast.com. And we welcome both your feedback and ratings on the content we provide. Join the conversation again next week when Peter and Rick continue the search for truth, justice, and the value-added way. Listener.